Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of the Scream Extravaganza, where we are diving into the world of the Scream franchise. Now, if you've already listened to episode 10, you will have heard all about the original Scream movie and the movie that began it all. But now we're going to dive into the sequels, two, three, four, the upcoming fifth movie and that TV show that was, well, let's just say something. Um, and Amy Lamore is still here. <laughs> she's she's still joining us for this extra journey along through the Scream franchise. Still here, still alive. That that's clearly because you never said I'll be right back. So you, you obviously you're 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 fine, you're safe. That's true. I never broke the rules. We we're we're pros, so we'll never uh, <laughs> we'll never break them. We're we the killers all along. Exactly. <laughs> you just didn't know it. Just because you can't see us, we can change our voices. Scream the scream the Scottish drag scene. It's Lola and Amy that are the killers. <laughs> It could be. Maybe, it could I mean, be, like, I mean, I'm not gig. hiding. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you're in plain sight. <laughs> I know I'm in plain sight, and I've also got a song called "Scream" about how like it feels like to be chased by a serial killer. So, like, I mean, I'm really not giving it away here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's right in to Scream Two. And Scream 2 is um, about Sydney is in college and once again finds herself the target of a psychotic killer. However, this time the killer's murder count is higher and the killings are more outrageous. Now, there's a reason why they're more outrageous and why the body count's higher, but we'll get onto that when we get onto Randy's rules in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, the sequel was greenlit before the first ever Scream made it to the cinemas. During test screenings of uh, the first original Scream movie, the film did stumble into major issues because um, when they had wrote the film, this whole entire script leaked online and it unveiled who the killer's identity was. Um, so originally the killers of the movie were going to be Derek Kelly, Cotton and Mrs. Lewis, but with the leak, they changed it. However, because the script leaked online, they kept all of the cast in the dark about who the actual killers were. So no one knew who the killers were unless you were there filming that last scene on that day then you didn't know who it was and they kind of still do that to this day with um, the rest of the movies I think um, because the people that are in the new Scream 5 have said that they didn't get the final pages some of them are um, people didn't um, get full scripts when they first signed on to the movie so unless you're in that scene then you don't know who you are you don't know you could be the killer until you're filming that final moment I love that and you could die during the movie and still be the killer. We've seen it here. It's about to happen in the third movie, so you never know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the film is about a copycat killer who's trying to recreate the original. Because of all the rewrites, some scenes were only scripted on the day they were shot, and some scenes weren't even completely finished. Um, Wes Craven had to kind of develop them when the cameras were rolling. The schedule for the film was rushed because with the studio only purchasing the movie in March 1997, the release was projected to be December 1997. So that's a very, very, very quick um, schedule for it. Consider now you see movies like Scream 5 shot um, last year in like September to November, um, of 2020 but it doesn't come out to January 2022 um, so that's a very long time for um, the film to be in production for it and it also allows them to have time to if they have to go back and reshoot things and do all things um, again which you will see through this franchise they may or may not have done quite a few wee times <laughs> so that is a kind of a, a weird part of it um, but that caused a lot of issues because um, everything has been done very quickly um, 
the difference between this one and the original Scream was um, when they sent off the movie, um, Wes sent them a much more graphic version of the movie. So when you see Phil get stabbed at the very beginning through the toilet cubicle, he actually gets stabbed three times in the ear in the original. And um, Randy gets his throat cut as well. Um, and they did it on purpose because they thought if they gave um, the rating company more then they would take those bits out, which would leave them with the film that they originally wanted. However, because the movie um, was significant enough to warrant the violence, um, they gave it an R rating anyway. But um, those little scenes that get cut and you do only see him get stabbed once and you don't see Randy get his throat slashed. But if you look very, very closely, when you see Randy's body, when um, Gail opens the door, his throat is slashed, but you just never, ever get to see it. Um, one of the main themes in the movie is that sequels don't live up to the original. Um, and another wee fun little fact um, that um, the actor um, Jamie Kennedy told you was that um, the reason that um, Randy didn't actually live on at all was because um, when Dewey died in Screen 2, I mean, obviously we all know, spoiler alert, he didn't die because he's in 4 and 5 as well and 3. Um, <laughs> but the reason that he lived on was because when he moved, there was just slight movement of him still as the last moments that you see him um, on screen. So he was able to kind of live on because he wasn't fully dead. Whereas when you saw Randy, he was lifeless. Um, so he was completely dead. So there was no realistic way to bring him back. However, we'll jump onto that a little bit more when we talk about screen three. Another little big difference here is... Um, Obviously in Scream, you saw Gail and Dewey, they were flirting on and off, they were they were going having some fun. However, in this movie, um, Gail and Dewey did to maybe have like a wee secret relationship and things like that, and they become a little bit more intimate in this movie. Um, a fun fact, obviously I'm sure people probably guessed as in the third movie um, on the posters, her name is Courtney Cox Arquette. Um, they met on the set of Scream <laughs> and they started dating and... Um, they ended up also becoming a couple getting married and things like that, um, but they are divorced now. Um, so you can see, obviously, they're sad really face. being a bit more. It is a sad face because you want Gail and Dewey in real life. It was just a happy wee moment um, for it, but um, that happens. Um, Wes Craven does make a little cameo in this movie too. He's a doctor in the scene um, after Sydney's attacked. So when um, Derek's in the hospital um, with his arm, um, you might see Wes Craven pop up. Obviously, this movie opens up with the premiere of Stab. They did make the first Scream into a movie within the movie. Um, and I think the thing is with this part, you know, I don't know if you got a lot of the maybe the same things. There's a lot of um, references here about how um, cinema back then and maybe much more horror movies were um, very whitewashed um, because there's a lot of lines yeah. that you see. And she says... Um, when she's trying to be like, oh, let's go see Sandra Bullock. Um, and, he, and she's like, no, 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 we'll go see this. And she's like, it's some dumbass white movie about some dumbass white girls getting their white asses cut the fuck up. And she says that the horror genre is historical for excluding the African-American element. Um, I think that's a very important thing to see within the movie. There. Definitely. that's It's so ahead of its time, like, when you think about it now. Like, when you watch it back, you're like, yeah, that's still true today, mostly. Like, I mean, there's been some good movies, like, horror-wise, that have come out, and they've been written by, directed by, and starring, like, um, a lot of Black people, and it's great that it's Black-led. And um, back then, you know, this was, like, the opening scene, so 
we kind of knew like they're gonna they two these two like Jada Pinkett Smith and um, Omar Epps who play Maureen Evans and Phil Stevens uh, they get they're gonna get killed off so it's kind of like it's irony there's a lot of irony for the series but this is quite ironic that she's saying it and she's smart and she knows like oh like these movies are all about <laughs> so these these white girls getting cut the fuck up and it's like yeah it's true but then they go and see it because you know he's like oh come on like we'll go see Sandra Bullock down the street and she's like nah it's fine Sandra already started we'll go see it and it's just very innocent and they don't like it's a movie it's a movie theater like you know like it's going to be quite safe but then when they go in it's like everyone's going crazy like because of the whole like this is quite a popular thing actually I took notes on this as well it was like a lot of um sort of cult like horror movies would do like in the screenings they'd have like um sort of live um interactive things so in this one it's like referencing it with the whole like giving them the screen mask and the, and the fake knives um and it's so clever how it's all put together this sequence like i really love like this opening sequence and it's wait <laughs> that's another reference <laughs> yeah she gets the mask and she turns it around and she goes to him and it's white <laughs> it's very on the nose i love it <laughs> I, love, I love jada pinkett smith I know she does make the part very good and she's a very relatable character in a wee second um, but I think that's the thing you do see though when you look back at all these other horror movies like your maybe Friday the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street um, Halloween's and all that things there isn't a person of colour really in these movies at all um, and even later on Dewey does say that um, the killer's much more um, the killers are normally um, a white male um, as well. They, so they do they do kind of address mm-hmm. the, the factor of race throughout it. Obviously, um, you go on in a second to find out that Sydney's best friend is um, a black woman. Obviously, we won't spoil the factor of what may or may not happen to her throughout the movie, but she's a much more smarter character than um, Sydney's best friend in the first movie. Yeah, yeah, she's much smarter than Tatum. Uh, I actually wrote that down as well. When I was watching, I was like, She's on the ball, like she's like when I first watched it, I was like, oh, she's she's better than Tatum because I love. If you listen to the first episode, you know how much I love Tatum and Rose McGowan, but um, Hallie definitely like was my, was my favorite. Like I think her my favorite best friend that Sydney's had because she's only had two, <laughs> but out of the two, definitely definitely her. She has, and she, I feel like she's just much more like she's much more of a sensible character. She's trying to see like the bigger picture of like it's not worth it sometimes and all these things. Even like when she she pulls it away from like um, Gail and she slaps and things like that. Like all these moments, she's much more yeah about the reality part um, of it, which is which is good. And she's a very a, a good character that you you root for um, throughout the film. Um, but honestly, when you get to the movie theatre, you see him um, stab and you see the beginning where they're trying to recreate the death of Casey Baker, which is Drew Barrymore in the original movie. Um, but they make it much more sexier mm-hmm. with a shower scene that did not happen at all. But um, that also <laughs> then gets a little joke made of it in the third movie. Um, but obviously we'll go into that in a wee second. Um, and I think this is where <laughs> you can, every single person, like, no matter who you are, every single person can relate to Maureen here right now at this specific time because Maureen is every mm-hmm. single person who watches a horror movie. You are that one sitting there shouting at the screen and telling them exactly what to do and you're like, yep, you are that person who's like, nah. She's like, you're clearly going to get it and you're like, <laughs> and it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, like we know the rules and we know what's gonna happen. And we know, like, usually it does. All the films are like these films. It's like whenever someone's alone or like some, you know, sectioned away from everyone else, they're gonna get killed. And she, in the opening scene, is like, um, "Oh no, this is a, she's about to get it. Like this is it." And then she, like, he goes off, and then she's like left alone, and then she's like, "No, before they go, uh, before they go away, like before they separate." Um, she's like, "Bitch." <laughs> bitch hang up the phone and star 69's ass and it's like yeah like get that that's basically like i think in america like you get you um reverse column or something so like um i don't know what it'd be here but um i know we can do that on our phones um but yeah she basically does that to get the caller id and it's like yeah like do it be smarter but you know maureen was just ahead of her time she just she didn't know it <laughs> I feel like she's one of those characters you... I don't, I don't want to say she's much more relatable than Casey is, but I feel you do just feel like she's a bit more relatable and kind of root for her a bit more. I mean, you know for a fact that she's about to die because um, it's the opening death of a screen movie, so you know that she is set up to die, which is sad, but I feel like you do feel for her and relate to her a lot more because she's, she's just a much more relatable character than what Casey is. I'm not saying Casey isn't, but... Um, She's just much more relatable, and I'm just like, oh, I wish she didn't die, but do you know what? It's a stab movie. It's not a stab movie. It's a it's scary an iconic movie. death. You know what I mean? At least it's an iconic one that was spoofed in scary movie, and it made me like think. I mean, I knew anyway she's gonna die. Like when I watched it, she's so aware, and it is such a shame because it's like, what if we were in that situation? We were like, we were aware of what was gonna happen, but we were like, he, as you said at the start of the episode, gets killed, and it's it was much more graphic, like stabbing through the the, the toilet um, stall. That was like horrible. Like it goes right through his head, and it's like also like a lot of people when they talk about horror and the characters that die that are black, it's always like really gruesome, horrible deaths, and it's compared to the white people. And it's like you see it in Friday the Thirteenth um, part. I think it's four. It's one of them. There's so many parts to that. Like I won't even go into that. But uh, <laughs> going back to this, it's like you know, it's such a, a clever way to do it. Like, he takes his jacket and then goes back in, and then she's sitting there like, you came back just in time, she's about to, like, die. Like, and then they say that in Scare Movie, where it's like, you came back just in time, he, she's about to get it on with Shakespeare, so it's the same thing. It's like, it's the same, it's basically been ripped right, right from it, so I knew what was going to happen, and I was like, oh, Maureen, hon, like, I, the first time I watched it was, I think I had it on VHS as well, uh, when I was younger uh, much younger and I was watching it and I was just like oh we know what's gonna happen and then you Lola can explain how Maureen meets her demise her iconic demise she does um because obviously like we said um before like they're watching the movie um stab does take a bit more of a humorous approach to um the story with Ghostface randomly popping up at toilet windows and you know on the roofs and all these things and places <laughs> that he did not ever pop up. Um and also the fact that he pops up and all that before um the final moment of like the final showdown in that first death in the original movie is when she first sees her, like we said, but in the stab recreation he pops up randomly like a um, jack in the box. Um <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of referencing it like that before until now, but we have now. That was a joke that happened. I know. Hopefully, you'll find it funny. <laughs> but obviously, Phil goes to the toilet. He gets stabbed um, in the ear for trying to listen to what he thinks is two people in the toilet um, getting jiggy with it. Um, but it's not. Ghostface <laughs> then takes Phil's jacket um, and he walks 
back into the theatre and sits back down right beside um, Maureen. Now, obviously, people are probably wondering, if you haven't saw the movie, how did he just walk in? Because everyone's in a ghost face outfit. That When Phil walks into the toilet, there's two guys peeing at the urinals in ghost face outfits. Um, so it's very easy for him to get about in there with... Um, with killing people and you do wonder though like if you think about it you wonder if because obviously I'm I'm probably guessing that at this point in it spoiler alert I'm about to tell you who one of them is I'm guessing at this point it's mm. probably Mickey that is Ghostface at this point in time meant to be and you wonder if he took the outfit in with him or whether he went to see the movie and then got one of the three outfits and then obviously he does it obviously he must have had a real knife to kill the people but you're wondering if he does it that way, like the kind of way that he kind of blended in a lot more. Obviously, later on in the film, you see that he drove by them while they're in the queue um, in the car, but um, you don't see that in, in the in the part at the beginning. Um, but Maureen goes back with her popcorn and she's sitting watching the movie and she's sitting like nap, nap. Um, and then Phil returns and he thinks it's all normal. She gets a little bit scared and she does what every woman or man or anyone may do if they're watching a movie with their other half and they, they kind of snuggle into them. And she snuggles in and she puts her hand on his um, chest body or a jacket or something. And she then realises that her hand's mm. all wet and she lifts her hand up and her hand's covered in blood. And then she gets her first stab and then she gets stabbed seven multiple times um, all the way as she's walking, trying to escape and she's trying to scream in this audience. But um, no one's giving her any attention because um, people just think it's like a, a publicity stunt for the movie because obviously they're watching a movie called Stab and um, she's getting stabbed. Um, that joke does happen in the third movie. Yeah. A little bit that I realised I was about to reference <laughs> yeah. the joke without actually meaning it. I didn't create that joke. I was actually just realising having watched Scream Three, like, oh my god, I didn't realise until there that second. Um, but she obviously gets. I up. love that reference. I know. I, but I, I was just like, oh, it's a, it's a Scream Three reference without realising. Um, <laughs> she gets up in front of the screen and she um, in front of the screen screaming at everyone and um, everyone then maybe starts to think oh wait a second and they take their masks off and all that um, the audience members and the um, she obviously then just dies in front of the cinema screen um, but like I say everyone thinks it's a publicity stunt so they don't really pay much attention um, to her um, then you get right into the movie where um, Sydney's at college. She's got a new friend. She's got a new boyfriend. Cotton's out of jail, as we know now that um, Billy and Stu killed Sydney's mother. Um, or did they? But that's another movie, so we're not there yet. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you get to obviously meet Hallie too. And then you get to movie class, which is at a very... Um, good point in this movie one of, one, of, one of the good scenes and you obviously meet oh, Cece, you meet Mickey and you see that Randy is in this film too and you get a lot of moments where they're talking about how um, you can't blame real life violence on entertainment um, and um, Mickey is trying to um, say that it's a classic case of life imitating art imitating life um, now keep that in mind <laughs> because it makes very much sense why Mickey is um, obviously trying to emphasise it's life imitating art, imitating life. Keep it in mind when we get to the 
part of who's the killer. I mean, I've told you a minute ago that he is, so I think that's very much sense, but that's not fine. <laughs> yeah. and I know, we should, have, we should have said that in the last one as well, and in this one, like, before we even start, like, spoiler alert, we're going to spoil the movie, like, so... But if you've not seen Scream 1, 3, 4, then that's ridiculous. I know, and what I always think, and I realised I didn't do a spoiler alert in the last one, so I do apologise, but um, I think if you listen to a full entire podcast based on any movie that we talk about, anything like that, you know that we're probably going to dive into it, and you know that we're probably going to talk about um, the endings of the movies and all these things, and probably talk about who, if it's a movie about a killer that likes screaming, things like that, who you don't know who they are, we're probably going to talk about them before they um, actually are unveiled as the, the killers in the movie, because you're kind of obviously talking about how it's you can now watch the movie and think who was it here or who was it there um obviously in screen three it's only one person so it's always going to be the same person but um you know what i mean they also go about how life is life it doesn't imitate anything um and that's that's the same michelle gather who is playing cc i just i just love the same michelle gather grown up we buffy fan here right now never know we might do a buffy episode one day um but yeah same michelle gather was a good icon oh that'd be good eh it would, a wee Buffy, maybe do the Buffy musical episode and they give it a whole entire change. Yeah, she is kind of fighting to be like things because she obviously did say, like I said, she said the line of you can't blame um, real life violence and entertainment, life is life, it doesn't imitate anything. And she said all of these things and they are kind of debating how um, sequels are never better than the original, but then they give you a bunch of sequels that are better than the original, like Aliens, T2, House 2, The Second Story, The Godfather Part 2, all these films that they say that the sequel was better than the original. And personally, in my point of view, if we are asking and answering that question just slightly early, um, I would probably say this is my favourite one of them all. Um, I don't know, I just love it, uh, and probably mm. one I watched a lot more, but I, I love seeing the show together, so that's probably why I watched um, it, and it's about to get a little bit sad for me, I know, but don't worry, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> um, but then Randy is like, nap, and then Sid appears, and he's like, they're like, what would you do differently? And he says, I'd let the geek sprays his um oh gosh i forgot what it's called sprays has like i was going to say air freshener breath spray spray, not air freshener air freshener could kill um he says spray spray get the girl you obviously then go to a part where they're outside and you meet derek and you discover that um, it's all kind of happening again. They think it's happening again after only two deaths in it. Um, you also meet a new reporter called Debbie Salt, um, who is like fangirling over Gail. Um, and she's trying to ask Gail all these questions. She was like, oh my God, I was at your seminar. I was the one right at the front asking all these questions and things like that. Um <laughs> And she's like, oh, but Gail has a stand. <laughs> yeah, she's like full on stand. Gail now has many stands in the world. Um, well, she has many stands in the world apart from the bangs, but that's a that's a matter we will definitely get onto. <laughs> we do not, we do not stand Gail Weathers' bangs <laughs> in season three. And her hair in this one, I had to make a note of too because it's like really like I love it. Like it's very like. 90s like <laughs> it's just it's the hair she had in like season friends season oh god the one where monica had really bad hair too um it's like it's a joke throughout the whole thing when he's like you know they take they take the mickey out of her hair basically uh throughout this one as well like and then randy says oh my god like because she's wearing this stunning like black like two-piece suit dress thing that's very 90s still and randy's like hmm, she got calf implants and then like i'm gonna take a closer look <laughs> it's like okay 
And it is because they do these like oh I like your streaks and things like that. Are so there, there is so many for yeah, nice streaks, and it's like shade, <laughs> shade to someone that you are like trying to like fire into at the exact same time here. Debbie Salt is trying to get a quote off her, and she she says, you know what, I'll give you a quote. Um, your flattering remarks are both desperate and obvious. End quote. Um, and yeah, she's trying to obviously she kind of shoots her down straight from the get go, which maybe isn't the right thing to have done to Debbie Salt. However, we'll move on because I don't want to give away that Debbie Salt's mm. the other killer. Like, I mean, gosh sakes, but who really is Debbie Salt? Mrs. Lewis, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> then you see Dewey arrive at the college Sid gets all happy and excited um, and Dewey tries to explain to um, Sid um, about how she's feeling and just asking her and he's like if there's some freaked out psycho trying to follow on Billy, Billy Loomis's footsteps you probably already know him or her or them and they're probably already in your life they get off on that one thing I think that um, right at that point there is obviously in the last film it was two men that did all the killings but right here Dewey from the get go is trying to give you that illusion that um, it may be a woman who is the killer also in this movie um, and it's not just a man so that is that is a good a good part of that movie. They're trying to look that um, anyone could be the killer, not just specifying it's um one specific person. Gail Yeah, it's very like in the first film it, it was like again up like women survivors and like Sydney and even Tatum putting up a fight. And in this one it's like the same with like with, like the feminism, like but I like that they're trying to say that like, yeah, but like a psycho killer could be a woman too, like and then was it take them in the first one was like oh you know basic instinct but like it was around this time in the 90s that like a lot of these movies were coming out where like women were the killers like basic instinct fatal attraction like all these sort of like cycle roles um and then you've also got like real life killers like Eileen Mornos so like it's not totally un uh, unimaginable that a woman would do that yeah, but I think it's good because it does contradict, like you said, it, it kind of um, gives you that contradiction to that scene that you just said where Tatum says about how basic insects and things like that, and they're sitting by the um, fountain. Yeah. Um, and it gives you that because it's one of the first scenes in Scream with them, and this is kind of one of the first scenes in um, Scream 2. So it's it's a good kind of contradiction how they're kind of then alluding to it being anyone with us in the first one, they kind of shut down the fact that it could be a woman and Tatum kind of had to put up a fight. Gail obviously is there and Gail kind of sets Sydney up. She wants an interview with Sydney and she's like, hi, how are you? And then she moves out the way and behind Gail is Cotton and he's trying to get his like 15 minutes. Gail promised um, him an interview with Sydney to kind of set the record straight and show that they kind of had an okay understanding of each other. Obviously, they obviously kind of don't, but... Um, that was kind of what that was trying to show there. But um, this is the moment where Gail has made the wrong move and she gets slapped again. And then you see <laughs> Gail and Dewey, they kind of have a, a lover's tiff. That's obviously where the little hair moments and all that come in and things. Um, but they're arguing over what Gail wrote about him in the book. She was going on about things, how he wasn't like a good lover and these things like that, kind of making him feel less of a man than he was. And he's like, nope, I just think you're a money-hungry fame-seeking, forgive me for saying it, mediocre writer. Um, so they kind of have that lover's little oh, tiff shots moment. fired. I know they're going right for it here. They're not like him. Um, they're not. They're not having a. They're having a good time with these two. 
but then you get to the sorority parties. The the all the sophomores are going to these parties that all these um sorority houses are having to kind of let you um get introduced into who they are and see what one you would like to pledge for. And um Sydney goes to the party. Now that's a point just to keep in mind. Um and a fun fact for mm-hmm. you all, if you did not know this. At the sorority party, um, now you don't see it until after Cece has died, a lot more of the background of the party and things like that. Um, but in the party scene, one of the extras in the party scene is actually someone that you all know and saw in the last movie get crushed by a television because um, Matthew Lazard went to visit um, the set of Scream 2 and if you look very very closely he is one of the extras in the background of the movie in the party scene so that's a, a little oh my god even I didn't know that fun facts you're learning <laughs> but now we're on to that sad moment for me we're on to CC Cooper so the sorority house across the road I'll make a big case oh. as we are um Cece's house watching in case a drunk sister comes home and a sister needs um, which is really really good someone watching out for um, other sisters that's that's a good thing and that's what you should always do look out for your friends look out for your sisters and brothers and pals friends family look out for them um, however for her yeah, look out for the drunk ones you should yeah. always have like someone who's there to like you know if someone's you know drunk give me a call I'll come pick you up that kind of thing so that's why that's another reason why we love her character. <laughs> she has she's she's relatable. She's like the Lola Fierce of um going out to polo after like suck or something because normally Lola Fierce is the sober one that's driving the car and it'll be like, oh you're going home now. Okay, do you want a wee lift home? Make sure you get home safely. Yes, I did just talk about myself in third person, but it was to prove a moment here, people like just just roll with me. Well obviously she's having the phone call, she's watching a wee scary movie. And Ghostface phones her. He's asking her and trying to get to know, and he's like, Oh, um, she's like, Oh, who's this? And he's like, Oh, she's like, Oh, she thinks it's Ted, and she's worried because it's her boyfriend, he's drunk, and maybe he needs help. And he's like, Who's Ted? And she's like, Um, she's like, What if I said goodbye? He's like, Why do you want to do that? And he's like, Why do you always answer a question with a question? Because I'm inquisitive. And then he says, To <laughs> that famous moment, do you want to die tonight, Cece? everything just adds so much and I love that the TV in the background does play that part to add to the kind of texture of the, the scene it's intense <laughs> it, this is a very intense death I feel because you, you see her and she's she's getting very agitated and that stuff so she hears a noise up the stairs move like something move and so she goes to run out the door and call the campus security but when she gets outside onto the porch and she can't sadly be heard on the phone, the signal's not strong enough to carry. Back in those days, they didn't have um, as amazing signals on their phones and things like that. She also was using a landline phone as well. Um, so the signal did not carry very far for her. Um, so she had to go back no 4G in. 4G or 5G. <laughs> exactly, no 4G, no 5G. Um, so she had to go back in. And when she went back in, one of, the, one of her sisters jumped out and she was like, oh, I just came back. I needed to get changed and things like that. And they kind of move a little distance away from the open front door and um, kind of closer to the living room. Um, so they're standing there with their backs to the, the front door and the phone, do- the phone goes and the sister answers it and she's like, hey, is this? And she's like, 
He's like, it's Ted. And then at that point, you see if you watch closely in the background, I mean, you can't really miss it, but if you watch closely in the background, Ghostface comes in and slides along and is inside the house in the background. That eeriness of you know that she's about to get it before she knows she's about to get it. And the sister says to her, don't forget to set the alarm. And then when she goes, hi, Ted, he says, don't forget to set the alarm. And she sets the alarm and she then obviously tries to... like it's a bit nervous a bit scared and she hears stuff and that she's looking hope thinking is she going to find them she obviously moves the door she's not behind the door um and then she hears the phone go again in the hallway she picks up the phone and he bursts out the cupboard um she runs all the way up the stairs tries to fling a pant pot at him um runs past multiple doors doesn't try (laughs) a few of them which is quite a weird moment um also why she doesn't shut the door behind her when she runs up the stairs um i don't know either um but she runs up the stairs she um, gets flung through the balcony glass door she gets stabbed multiple times and then she gets flung off the balcony sad times however it's gruesome like that is like when she gets thrown through the glass it was like oh my god that's horrific enough and then because she's so like it's Sarah Michelle Gellar and she's so like just petite and iconic and it was just like oh come on girl you can do it and then now that stab came right away like the the, the two in the back and then like the chucking off the balcony oh my god but behind the scenes like do you know there's like a bit where like when she when the angles change when she's falling just to show you how high it is and she's never gonna survive it obviously um and while she's falling through like that iconic like screen like ah like so you can see a camera guy or like a crew member like who's clearly like doing like this sort of um making sure the stunts um like going okay and then he like pops up and then it's like it was on the VHS I don't know if they've edited out the DVD one like so I've not watched the DVDs like I only had the VHSs and I've watched it online legally but uh, on the VHS ones definitely back in the day I was like who's that guy and you see it for like a split second but if you've got a keen eye you'll see like this guy with like a cat pop up and be like when she's like flowing through the air um but I think you'd have to get that on like the second or third watch or something because on the first one we were clearly just too traumatized by the fact that Buffy uh just died <laughs> exactly but once you see that you can't now ever unsee it and you do purposely watch that again and go where is he oh there he's there there he's there um i know it's like little gags like that a little gag or like like um like hiccups like that i just love like it's like the the whole coffee cup in the game of thrones thing if you don't watch it you might not get it but like oh. <laughs> and it's like what like who missed that on editing exactly there, there's some things you do and you're like how do they miss it but Obviously, if they're watching some things for so many times, you do maybe miss those tiny wee bits and bobs. But um, it makes good Easter yeah. eggs for our fans that watch it. Um, well, obviously, CC is now dead. Um, but what this does is um, all the cops and everything race to the house and things like that. And obviously, the party across the road finds out about it. Like, oh, my God, something's happening. Let me go big as there. And cops are everywhere. And they all go over to see it, which means it leaves the house empty. And obviously, Sydney doesn't run straight away because she's like, oh, oh, no, it's happening again. Don't worry. So she waits and she gets the first phone call from Ghostface. She gets the phone call and he's like, it's showtime. And then she's like, well, why don't you show your face, you fucking coward? And he says, my pleasure. And he shut the front door so she can't get out the front door. And um, he's right there. And you get the close action where Ghostface stabs the knife through the door. And it's very close to Derek's face, but um, it doesn't obviously um, 
get Derek. Um, but then Sid gets out the back door and Derek goes back in and Derek gets attacked by the killer, but he gets attacked by the killer off screen. So you don't actually see him get attacked. You see the aftermath when his arm is cut, but you don't see him physically get attacked on screen. And then obviously you get to the next scene in the hospital where you see him at West Craven have his little cameo. Watch, watch out for it. Um, but at this point, the, you... <laughs> Are in the police station with Gail and Dewey and you realise that um, someone's called Phil Stevens Maureen Evans and C.C. Cooper now Maureen Evans Maureen Prescott Phil Stevens Stephen Orris and C.C. Cooper and C.C.'s real name is Casey Cooper like Casey Becker dun, dun, dun. kind of just like someone is copycatting the people who they killed in the original movie. Yeah. Um, it is, and it's a, a moment you think and see, like, what is it, what's it going to be like? Who's, it, who's going to be next? Um, is it going to be someone that you think is going to be next? Um, but it's not. Sadly, it's not. Um, no, because then I was, like, writing down, I was like, right, so who's next? And I was like, and when we find, like, I won't spoil it just now, but, like, I like how we're going kind of, like, um, for the film, like, scene by scene but um the next kill the next person that's killed is not um related in any way to uh, principal henry um from the original like there's no correlation so i thought the duplicate idea was interesting the next one is tragic and caused a big fuss but we'll get to yeah, it did. two <laughs> seconds for you all um you get a, a lovely little scene though where Derek sings to Sydney in the cafe and he asks her to be his girl and he gives her his Greek <laughs> letters, which she should never ever do, and it backfires on him later on. But um you get to see that. You also get to see a glimpse of an interviewer interviewing Sydney um in stab, so it's not not um, the Sydney that we all know. She's interviewing the actress who's playing Sydney and Stab, which is Tori Spelling. Sydney predicted it all the way back in the first movie. She was like, my luck, it'll probably be Tori Spelling, and it is Tori Spelling, so it pays a little homage to that. And also the scene that you see is the scene where Billy's just out of jail, which um, is kind of the exact same way at the top of the stairs and um, before she runs into the bathroom and gets attacked in the bathroom in the first film. Yeah, I mean, so we've got Tori Spelling playing Sydney, which was foreshadowed, and uh, Luke Wilson, who I think was just starring at the time in the 90s, like in those like 90s sort of like um, cult teen films. And then you have, um, who was it? Heather Graham, who played Casey in the opening of Stab uh, from the start of this film. Um, and she was always sort of like compared to Drew Barrymore, I believe, like Heather Graham and Drew Barrymore, like this whole thing in the 90s, like the comparisons. Um, so I thought it was really interesting that they, they went for that angle. <laughs> it's very like very scream to do that, like very like pop culture references. I think that's the thing that they use. They, they do use a lot of pop culture references within um, all of these um, films, which is kind of a way for it to be a little bit more relatable than in some other um, horror movie films. Um, but now. The first movie you find out the moot rules is order to survive a horror movie. However, it's a sequel. They're slightly a bit different now. So the new rules in order to survive a sequel are the body count is always much bigger. The death scenes are always much more elaborate, more blood, more gore. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever, you don't know. He doesn't get to tell you what the third... He never gets to finish, because Dewey interrupts him. He's like, nah, come on. 
so you always wonder what is the what is the third um what is the third rule of um a sequel? What is yeah, it? and then Dewey's like, no, come on, these people are your friends because he starts listing like the people like their their friends like he's like listing like Halle and then this is the part where we're, like they bring up the whole you know like uh, killers are stereotypically white males and then he's like that's why she's perfect Candyman's daughter was a great you know villain and um which I've never seen Candyman um two three or four whatever however however many they are I've only seen the first one yeah and then they start listing like people like Mickey the freaky Tarantino film student and it's like yeah like it's, it's been like thingy there it's been you know put out there that he could be because Tarantino obviously films are very like graphic and gory and maybe he got inspiration from that you know that kind of thing in, in the ways like he's thinking um and then Dewey's obviously like uh these are your, maybe your friends and he's like oh okay. like Randy's like oh yeah yeah well if they're not suspects they're targets they are um but I just found out that actually the third rule was unveiled in a teaser trailer for the movie and it's never ever under any circumstances assume the killer is dead which you kind of already knew um, briefly from the the first movie oh it yeah wasn't, it wasn't a rule in the movie but again that's the moment of editing that scream has slight um slight um difficulties trying to understand that if you see something in a trailer like that why not put it in the movie um and they have that in scream four with gail that's another moment we'll get there in a second <laughs> Like you just said, they obviously guess, uh, go through a lot of people who may be the killer. And Randy's first guess is that Mickey is the killer, but um, he rules himself out because that would make him a suspect. Hmm. But maybe... <laughs> yeah, and then Dewey's like, Randy in the first why, why can't you be a suspect? <laughs> exactly, and then they make the jokes of thinking it could be Gail and all these things. They have all these moments. And then um, Joe threatens to leave Gail as a cameraman because he finds out what happened to Kenny. I think this is quite funny because Joe's kind of freaking out to Gail um, and she literally just turns and goes, he wasn't gutted. I made that up. He stopped stashed. But says it with shuts her like straight face. <laughs> like she does not care. And you're like, that is just really like, it, oh, it's just such a, a, a dark humour moment to it. And you're like, no, it's just... It's, it's so Gail. It's so dark. Cool. It is. You obviously have the full play scene where Sydney's getting um, playing the part in the play that she's playing in college, and they have a little ghost face kind of. She thinks he's there and he's not there in sequence moment, and then you find out that Sid's getting taken away to a safe house that night. We then get to a part where um, Gail, Dewey, Joel and Randy are all sitting having a debate about who the killer may be, and Gail keeps getting phone calls from. Um, like press and thinking people are trying to get like her to talk but they're having too much of a debate who it is and they're saying that the killer's trying to finish what was started um, in Woodsboro um, but obviously it's kind of a bit different and um, this is where I think there's quite a funny joke and um, it's even more funny because obviously she was in Friends with the actress but the Gail's getting a little <laughs> moody and things to she's like, when does she get like that um, ever since the nudes on the internet um, and she's like it was just my face it was Jennifer Aniston's body um, but it's quite funny because obviously Jennifer Aniston played Rachel on Friends um, her best <laughs> yeah so it's kind of a, a funny joke that you would get because um, obviously they're best friends in that and they obviously um, are thinking if the killer's following a pattern, um, maybe we can work out who's next. Um, but they can't work out who's next because it's about to happen right there and then. Um, and the killer phones 
He's getting a little bit more gruesome again. He's like, have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? I'm getting very into detail of things they, they might do to their victims. Um, but Gail and Dewey are trying to hunt for the killer because he's like, they can see him right now. So they, all these people are on phones in this courtyard and they're trying to hunt down all that, but they leave Randy on his own. <sighs> Sad times. Um, and... Oh, this is like the part where you're like, come on, really? Like, I know. Why did you do that to him? I literally put hashtag poor Randy sad face. <laughs> I know, hashtag poor Randy. But also the thing that's quite funny is when you see this and you see the image of like from the camera from high up and Randy's in the middle of a courtyard with nothing around him, you're thinking, why don't you just stay on the spot? You move closer to things and it's your fault. So. He, he broke his own rules. He, he went did. off by him. He, he went off by himself. Like, he, oh. And obviously they're having the same conversation. The killer's asking you, how do you want to die? And he's like, do you want to die? And he's like, is that the best you've got? Because Stu and Billy were much more original. Um, and he says to him a sad line. He's like, no matter how hard you try, you'll never be the hero and you'll never get the girl. He's um, been very, very nasty to him right now so Randy's trying to get a little bit in about the, the previous killers and he's like Billy Rumis, Billy Rumis, what a fucking rat looking homo repressed mama's boy why not set your goals higher you want to be like one of the big boys Manson Bundy OG and then the moment that no Ooh. one suspected was gonna happen Ghostface pulls Randy into Gail's fan and sadly Randy gets killed off. A very sad time. Cuts him up. He Cuts does. him up. Like, it's so tragic because, like, it's so gruesome. But then you said at the start, like, it was maybe more gruesome. So it's like, oh my God, like, I couldn't, even, like, it would have been worse. Like, that's the last image you have of him. Um, well, in this film, at least. But it wasn't just a very sad moment. It was a very, um, a, a choice that they made. Not only does it shock the characters in the movie, but it also shocked all the fans of the franchise. You killed off one of the beloved characters that everyone loved, everyone was rooting for. He was kind of that person that you trusted and he knew how to survive a movie and you just killed him off right there and then in the middle of the movie. He didn't even make it, like, to near the end. I mean, I think he only dies about, like, I don't know, like maybe like an hour or even less than an hour into the movie and uh, the movie's like two hours long. So um, yeah, he, he gets killed off very early on within the movie, which is kind of sad, but um, it happened. It, it caused controversy, um, but we'll talk a little bit about the controversy um, when we get onto Scream 3 and their thoughts on how he may or may not have lived on into Scream 3, but um, we'll get onto that in a wee second for you. Sid is obviously at the library. She gets like a little message from the killers and um, Cotton tries to like pester her because he's keep trying to get his 15 minutes. He's pestering her and Gail and she's like, between the movies and the book, people know the truth. Um, so she's like, why do you keep wanting all these? Like, why do you keep wanting to bring up everything from the past and all these things? Obviously because Randy was killed off in Gail's van, um, Joe quits and he's like, I've had enough of it. I'm over it. And Gail feels a little bit bad and she shows that she's got emotion. She shows she's got this other wee side that you maybe didn't know that she had because she's been a bit more of a... Um, independent women like trying to be strong and all these things but now she's shown she's got this little bit of emotion in there and 
when Joe quits, Joe gives her all these tapes. And she's realising that if the killer is really watching and relishing every minute, then he would be on these tapes here. So, Gail and Dewey go on a little wee yep. adventure to see if they can um, spot the killer on these tapes. They go to the college campus, they go into the, the theatre and they um, start to watch the tapes to see if they can spot them. But um, they get a little bit up. She apologises to Dewey for what she did and the way that she wrote him in the book and then they start to make out as if they're going to have hanky-panky oh my gosh I don't know why I just said it like that but <laughs> yeah they're about to um, <laughs> bit of hanky-panky cheeky however another tape starts to play in the background of um, Maureen and Phil outside the movie theatre Cece outside her house and Randy on the phone in the middle of the courtyard and Gail's like, these aren't my tapes. A funny moment there is um, when Gail um, and Dewey obviously are on top of the desk um, and then Gail sits up and um, Dewey's still got his hand on her boob and she's like, Dewey, <laughs> Dewey. Um, it's quite funny. Then we find out where the, the killer is and in, he's in, the, the killer is in the um, the theatre, in the, in, the, in the movie theatre, in the, the, what's it called? The sort of projection booth. And... Um, is like showing it and then they're like oh my god shit and then he runs up to go chase the killer and Gail's left alone all alone no one there beside her and at that point obviously Ghostface isn't in the booth and for me I would probably say this is one of the best chase sequences in the whole entire franchise like I just love it so much um I totally agree so obviously Dewey's upstairs and Ghostface appears behind the desk behind Gail and he tries to attack Gail and they have a full chase where she runs like away down the corridor. She runs into like a, obviously it's like a, a college campus who obviously do like film and music and things. So there's like sound booth rooms um, and they go into the sound booth. She goes into one of them and it's one of those moments because it's literally like she's so close to getting it so many times but like doesn't and it's that way it's just so on you're yeah, so she's, on the she's edge. like ducking and diving and it's it's so tense because you're like are they not they, they can't kill Gail there's no way there's no way but then it gets it's so there's so many times where the killer is like right next to her but then I think it's like hard to describe like the sort of layout of the the um the room like the sort of the soundproof room um it's like there's different it's like a maze almost it looks like a maze but it's just shelves and um sort of um what do you call it? like bookcases kind of things like they're all sort of um i'm <laughs> you can't see this obviously if you're listening to this but i'm trying to like visualize it for myself it's like a maze and then every time the killer comes down one corner she turns the other and um and then she goes around another one and then she she finally like you're thinking oh my god if she does one wrong move like she'll come around the other side and then they'll be face to face and um, luckily she runs off and uh, makes it to the, the room, but she's like, fuck, because there's no lock on the door. <laughs> she's like, oh shit, what do I do? She is, she's like trapped in this um, in this room. Um, and she, she's, there's only one way in and out of the room I'm, I'm, I'm going with, obviously. And um, Dewey goes to try and find her and... Obviously, within this section, there is, like, sound booth rooms that um, people can record in, and then there's obviously the control room, and um, Gail is in one of the 
like rooms that you can record in also they're using this one kind of much more for storage and stuff she just went through one of them that um you record in with all the sound panels and things like that um and do you can see gail hiding but gail is too busy watching watching the door and mm. things and that trying to make sure that ghost face doesn't come in um in case she has to do anything or trying to like survive she, she doesn't see Dewey um come into the room and obviously within these soundproof rooms the windows are like um not proper glass glass um, but they're also very like um double glazed but very far apart and things like that to kind of keep the sound of all these things um from traveling in and out of these rooms so someone could sit in the control room and record and you wouldn't hear them unless they were talking through a microphone so he's banging on this window um he's trying to get attention and he stands on a, a pizza box bit that he gets a bit put off that he doesn't realize that Ghostface comes in behind him and Ghostface stabs him right in the back and um, he falls onto the desk and he screams her name and then she's on the other side of the window as Dewey is dying on the other side. At a horrible, horrific moment for her to be seeing that person that she's like kind of in love with in a way um, dying on the other side of the window um, and he is obviously falling down the window um, and the, the blood is falling down the window. And it's horrible. Then Dewey, in quotation, dies. Close quotation. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then <laughs> the killer's trying to get in, and then she's like, no. And then she, I think she, she's, yeah, this is, she, she slams the thing in front of the um, door so he won't get in, like the bootcase. And then, she, but she's trapped herself in as well. So she's like stuck. And then the killer's trying to get in and is like chucking things at the window. Like the stool is trying to like um, elbow his way in. And um, obviously she's she's trapped and she can do nothing but watch. And you're feeling like, you're like, oh no, like what's going to happen with her? And then um, she, she can't do anything but hide. And then the killer is, is gone. Uh, next minute it's gone. I think that's the funny thing, watching that killer trying to break that glass window is just so funny because it's like, mate, see the fact that Dewey couldn't <laughs> knock on the window and she couldn't hear. Like, it's one of those, it's clearly not real glass, it's not oh. going to break easily no matter what you throw at it, it's still not going to break. It's designed not for that to happen because if it was glass, the sound would have to travel through it. It's much more like a plasticky kind of um, glass thing rather than glass. But obviously, like you said, go say disappears. Um, so Sid and Hallie are getting taken off to a safe house. Hallie's going with her just for that little extra safetyness. Um, Derek says bye to her, but he gets kidnapped by his brothers because he gave Sydney his Greek letters and he gets humiliated with them with getting like drink poured <laughs> down his trousers and his shorts and he's hung up on a star and all that and his boxers and things like He does all that. And um, they are getting driven away by the two cops that have been following um, Sydney all the time as a protection, as a bodyguard. And Hallie asks, so where are you actually taking us? And one says, if we tell you, we'll have to kill you. And then the other one that's driving the car turns around and goes, don't ask, don't tell. And Ghostface pops up, smashes the window, slashes the man's throat. And um, then the other one tries to get out and Ghostface batters the shit out of him, which is quite funny um, in that point in Ghostface batters the shit out of the cop and then the cop is standing um, in front of the car because Ghostface jumps in pushes the driver out and he's going to drive the car and um, I say he because we do actually know at this point it is um, Mickey because obviously you do find out later on when Mickey takes his mask off he's got a cut and all that in his head like um, 
he had been chasing um, Sydney. So, and also half the time they refer to Ghostface as he because they do it in the movies all the time. They refer to as the he. Um, yeah, it's just generic. Like it's yeah. honestly like a, a male killer, probably like a, a, a straight white male kind of thing. And um, the cop is standing there and he's like out the car. Ghostface um, tries to knock him over, but the cop attaches himself to the bonnet. Um, but then Ghostface crashes this construction into the car and in a very gruesome, horrific, um, kind of Final destination moment. Obviously, this happened before Final Destination. At the construction site, there's, like, a big skip that's full of, like, metal rope poles and all this thing for maybe, like, um, scaffolding or something. And um, one of them gets launched right through the cop's head and right through the car window. But it also damages the inside um, of the car. So to kind of rewind a split second, um, Sydney and Halley are in the back of the cop car, but the car looks like a normal car. However, in the cop car, there is like a, a metal kind of like shield between the passengers and the drivers because obviously the cops would use it as one if they maybe arrested someone to put them in the back, like you would see in a cop car. But this metal rod, um, puts a hole through and detaches um, the edge and one of the corners of the metal um, kind of wall in the middle. Obviously, because it's a cop car, um, both of the back doors in the back are child locked, so you cannot get out of the door. Um, but Ghostface appears to be um, knocked out. So Sydney realises the only way out of the car is to go through the front of the car and climb over Ghostface. Um, one thing I'd want to say is this moment, like the cinematography, the way he created the tension in this moment was just like impeccable and so amazing. Like the close-ups of each and every moment where her face is like slowly, like so close to his face. I feel like it gave you the illusion and made you feel like how close their faces probably were. Like because her face is so close to the camera, like that is probably how close her face was to God's face. Like all of that, like the way Wes creates the tension and the the horror and all that and just like the cine cinematography is just like impeccable like in this movie and also in um, it's so intense it's it is it's, it's, it's such an intense tense moment but um they obviously both get out if uh, and they go to run away but Sid stops because she wants to know who it is and um, you get these funny moments where Hallie's like stupid people go back smart people run we're smart people so let's just get the fuck out of here um, and she says Hallie I'm sick of running she's um, <laughs> already at this point she's only on number two she's just not realise she's still got three more movies to go here at least well I mean you never ever know what could happen in five um, it might be over for her I don't know um, no one knows yet unless you're in the movie of course Um and um, she goes to check. And when she goes to check, Ghostface isn't in there. And he jumps out on Hallie and um, he kills Hallie. And um, at this point, you get go back to the, the, the college. And Gail's trying to get out. And she meets Cotton and she thinks it's him. Gail runs outside and she pulls the phone off Debbie Salt, who's on the phone, you know, on the wee PayPal. PayPal? She's on the wee pay phone. <laughs> outside um and um gail pulls the phone <laughs> off and she phones the thing she's like oh buddy she's like need to police the killer's caught in fucking weary to debbie um and debbie's face is a little bit of shot but it's one of those faces it's like is it really oh 
Are you sure? Victoria Beckner, like, she looks so, like, she looks, she's so, like, Karen Weary, oh, my God. Like, very, like, we, like bitch, I know what's going to, like, you're going to get taken in a minute. Like, <laughs> Karen Weary. <laughs> she is. And I love when, Laurie Metcalf. I love her as an actress. It's when you watch her back again and you know, obviously, that, um, spoiler alert, she's one of the killers. Um, I know I've already told that probably at one point, but um, she's one of the killers. You find that out. It's, it's <laughs> funny now watching it going, oh, my God, she clearly is, like, faking that whole entire bit there and you know that it's exactly her. Um, so that is, that's quite funny. But um, obviously now we're, we're into the final showdown in the theatre. Yes, this iconic sequence. Sydney goes into the theatre and she sees Derek <laughs> hanging on the star from where they've had the party and all that, um, where they've humiliated him and they've left him hanging up there. And then behind Sydney walks in Ghostface and she's like, you're fast. And he's like, you really want to trust your boyfriend? Don't you know a history repeats itself, Sid? And as Ghostface is saying that line, you still have the Ghostface voice right up until he says, don't you know history repeats itself, Sid? And it changes to the real person underneath. And Mickey is unmasked as one of the killers. Um, Mickey then tries to make out that Derek is a killer. It's his partner. Um, like, he needed an accomplice. Like, don't don't you know, like, um, these are the things that you would um, you would do, you know, that you need a person to to go with. And But then he shoots Derek and he kills him. Um, he shoots him right in the heart and, and Derek dies. And um, you kind of have a very, very sick line here because um, Mickey says to Sydney, this is the kind of boy you would like to take home to mum if you had a mum. And you're like, oh my god, you are so mean and horrible to oh. this girl. Like, oh, it was it's it's not a fun moment. Um and she's like, eh, you you'll never get away with it. Like Billy didn't them kind of get away with it. And he's like, Billy was a sick fuck that wanted to get away with it. Mickey's a sick fuck that wants to get caught. Um, these days it's all about the trial, cinema and violence. I'm an innocent victim. Um, there is more to that little speech. There's just snippets parts of it, but um, Mickey's kind of motive is that um, he is trying to blame the cinema and violence, and obviously that's why earlier on in the movie, and the, if you rewind back to the, the movie class, he does say it's life imitating art, imitating life. He's using that whole motive of how um, you can blame cinema and violence, and that's how we get away with it, because... Um, He's basically just a victim of this cinema and violence. He had been like, that had um, gotten some too much. However, as Sydney then says to him, you're forgetting one thing about Billy Loomis. I love this moment because she's like saying that and then she literally starts to think, she's like, and she kind of whispers, I fucking killed him. They have a little moment there and then um, Derek gets risen up into the into the rafters and he's like, told you said I had a partner, surprise cameo just for you um, because it's someone that she's known much longer than she's known Mickey. Um, and Gail walks through the door but right behind Gail with the gun or the knife to Gail um, is Mrs Loomis and Mrs Loomis aka Debbie Salt is unveiled to be um, the second killer um, Mickey and Mrs Loomis met on a cycle website and she says there's only an estimated 97 active serial killers in the country right now um, and she then also goes on how she kind of meets them and then 
Mickey's like, wait to the trial. And she's like, oh, Mickey, there's not going to be a trial. And Mrs. Loomis shoots Mickey and kills him. But she also shoots Gail and Gail falls into the orchestra pit um, at that point. And she's then like, well, that whole blame the movies motive, did you believe that for a second? The poor boy was completely out of his mind. And she's obviously... um, trying to to frame Mickey for this and uh, set him up as a killer so that she can get away with it. Um, she says that she's sane and that her motive is just simple, plain revenge because um, Sydney killed her son. Um, and she's even got a plan of how Mickey had killed Sydney, even though Mickey's already dead and Sydney's still alive. She's got that plan of how to make that clear that he did it. Um, and she's like, they can't trace her because Debbie Salt doesn't exist. And then... Um, Sydney starts to try and dive deep to it, even though as well at the same time, she's like, you're as crazy as your son was, um, and no Billy was a good boy, you done a good up job. Um, but Mrs. Loomis is like, Randy spoke poorly about Billy, and I got a little knife happy. Um, she's going right for that, um, that kill of him, why she's given that revenge. Um, and she's also then like, I'm sick of people saying it's all the parents' fault. Um, that it all starts with the family. However, let's rewind back to um, what Billy's motive was. And Billy's motive, he didn't really have a full entire motive together. Um, But one of the reasons that he was doing it was because his mother left his dad because he was sleeping with Sid's mother. So I think it's a bit contradicting that she's like, it doesn't start with the family because she kind of did start this whole thing off. Yeah, she set it off. Um, you know, hers, her motive, I can respect more because it's just revenge, like good old-fashioned revenge. Can he beat it more than Mickey's, who just what, who had this whole new, like, um, idea of, like, oh, well, let's blame the movies. And um, we touched on that in the last episode about, um, like, people, like, the crimes that have come from this, um, like, from the horror movies. Um, so he thinks it's, like, an original idea, but, like... It's not really. Um, and, you know, after she killed him and revealed all that to Sydney, um, that she's just going to, like, frame it on him. And she's, you know, she had a good... Debbie Salt's, like... Well, Debbie Salt, a.k.a. Mrs. Loomis, had a good um, reason, revenge, because we all love a bit of revenge. Um, so her her revenge motive is great. And also, like, her idea to cover it up is great because she has... There's no, no such person as Debbie Salt. She only just appears at the start of the movie... And it's like an unknown reporter and um, it's really clever. And also they, they make a note of like um, how she's lost a lot of weight um, and has had work done. So she doesn't, she looks totally different to how she used to look. But to Sydney, who she's, the whole film, she has actually avoided her to, up to this point. So it's really clever that she was like not around her. Yeah, at this point is when they start having a little cat fight between each other around this the, the theatre set, which I love this bit. It's so great. <laughs> It's such a funny moment because you get the part where um, obviously like um, Sydney goes through the door and shuts it and then um, she's trying to like shoot through it. But what's quite funny is the whole part when Sydney grabs the axe and <laughs> she just looks, She's Debbie's looking through the gun hole and Sydney's like got the axe and it's as if she's looking at her, she's like, ha ah! And then she starts to like obviously start to brown yeah. the, the scenery and the set. Um, and, and like you say, they, they have a big... Um, cat fight um but then cotton appears 
And Debbie has Sydney by the throat with a knife, but she's trying to convince Cotton to let her kill her because she's like, I can help you, Cotton. I can give you what you want. Um, and she's like, as long as she's alive, you'll never be the lead story. Let me kill her. Then you're the only survivor. You're the story. Personally, I think it's quite poetic because um, she had sent him to jail for her mother's murder, even though he didn't do it. And... Um, Cotton then starts to kind of make out that he's believing Mrs. Loomis and kind of going for it. And he says to Sydney, bet you that Diane Sawyer interview is looking good about now. And it wasn't really until I started to obviously critically analyse the film, I understand now why he shoots the um, right person here. Because he says this to her, and then Sid says, consider it done. And then he shoots Mrs. Loomis because she's just agreed to, to giving him the interview that he's wanted, which in that sense, um, if he'd given him the interview ages ago, this some of this might not have happened. But then again, if he'd given him the interview, he might not have been here <laughs> to save her and she might have died. And obviously at this true. time, Very Mrs. True. Loomis gets killed. Um, and it, for you find that the Gail's still alive. <laughs> I think it's quite funny because Sid asked Gail, are you all right? And she's like, I've been shot. Of course not. <laughs> she, she, Gail is just such a, <laughs> a lovable character because she's so blunt and straight to the point. And you're like, yep, right in there. Um, That's what I love about her. Oh, yeah, so when when um, Cotton goes to help up Gail and then he's like, uh, you know, are you okay and all that? And then she's like... Um, it, what's it? She's like, oh, it just bounced off my ribs. And he's like, God, Gail, you've got more lives than a cat. And it's true because it foreshadows that even in the first one, she was like, she tried to save the day. She got kicked in the back. And this one, she tried to like help out and then she got shot. And in the rest of them, she's always trying to help out. But like, she always gets put in like situations where she's going to die. And then she never does. It's great. Well, hopefully she might get put in a situation in the fifth film and she may or may not die. Like, what, true. I think her nine lives are up. Maybe be, oh, that would be a good line for the killer to say your nine lives are up now, Gail. <laughs> before they <laughs> before it happens, but you never know. I don't know who dies, but we'll get onto screen five um, in a wee second. Um but also at that point, um because Mickey's came back and um, Sid shoots um, Mrs. Loomis in the head, just to be sure. What is quite sweet is that Joe comes back to help Gail out, um, and he's like, I'll help you get the first scoop and all that, but he these wheel out a victim that's still alive and you find out that it's Dewey that's alive um, and she just decides that um, she's more happy to be with Dewey and much more um, trying to like care about him so she kind of gives up the news thing for a second she goes with him to the hospital and that and that shows she, she's got a, a lovely good bit of emotion um, to her um, and it's a good redemption arc for her, her character like I love character arcs like that and through the first one like she obviously had feelings for him and um, but then you were, we were kind of made to believe like is it because it's also like try to get part of her story but you know it could also be that it's both like she wants her story because she loves her career and she's an independent woman but also she's she's got feelings and she loves Dewey as well because um, we've seen her like pure breakdown and great when you get stabbed and along with what the rest of us are watching it um, <laughs> so obviously it's great at the end that when they're um, when they're reeling them out um He's like, and he's like, Gail, Gail, like, where are you, Gail? Like, he's like, unconsciousness. Um, and she's like, I'm coming, Dewey. So it's so sweet. And it's really sweet that they got married after this in real life. I know, but then it just makes you really sad to see that they're um, divorced now, but they're obviously still um, characters that appear in the franchise. Um, and they both are in the fifth one. So see what, see what happens to them. Um, 
But then Sydney and Cotton are there, but Sydney gets harassed by the press and she's like, do you know what? We need to speak to Cotton because he's the real hero. Um, and Cotton doesn't want to give an interview without the right amount of money and all these things. And he's like, I'll tell you one thing, it'll make a hell of a movie. And then the movie ends and you get another <laughs> wee ghost face, blink and you'll miss it moment. And that's Scream 2 for you all. Yeah, the the ending, the music in this one, like because we touched on the music in the first one, I love the um, score and the the soundtrack for this one, especially the like, the song that plays at the end of this one. It's just very like the nice pan out of Sydney, like just her walking alone, but she's like the survivor again, and she's a fighter, and it's kind of like a callback to like when her, in the film earlier she's talking about how uh, with the director of the 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 play that they're in, like he's like she's like I'm a fighter, and he's like I don't believe you, and then she's like I'm a fighter, and it's like throughout this one she's more like tough as nails than the first one and she's like the lone survivor again with obviously uh, Gail and uh, Dewey and Cotton but like the sort of shot of her like where she's walking away by herself just sort of walking away like never got questioned by the police just walks away into the the, the college campus as the, the the camera pans out with that this the iconic song well it's not an iconic song but it's like an, a 90s song playing at the end I can't remember what it's called but when you hear it you're like oh this is so 90s it sets the tone Especially this is 1997, so it's like the late the later 90s, um, when it was getting more like grungy and like um, dancey, um, which I thought was great, and I just love that shot of her. And um, yeah, it's like I, I think uh, I agree with you. Like this one's definitely like it's it's darker, but it's also like it's a darker tone. But then Randy was right. The 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 death scenes were much more elaborate. It was much more gory. Um, and uh, the killers weren't really like to be expected because it was a twist. Because Mickey, I was kind of like that would be expected, but I never even on the first watch thought that Debbie Salt would have been the killer in this one. So, and I didn't know she'd be Mrs. Loomis and all that. So I absolutely love that twist um, and still do to this day. I think it's because you, like you say, you don't suspect that you don't even think she's going to be a character. And even at that first thought, you don't suspect that she is who she is and that she's faking who she is. So it's a, it's a good um, twist in the tale for you. Sophie is an unscripted interview style podcast featuring a member of the LGBT plus community every single week. This isn't your normal interview style podcast because we ask the important questions like how would you survive a zombie apocalypse but it's all straight white men and what's the deal with bananas? Why are they so yellow and who hurt them that made them this week? Join me and my guests every single week as we discuss our lives, our loves, and most importantly, our coffee orders.